Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Happy Monday, everyone. Today is July 17. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to this week's Beyond Market podcast. Last week, the S&P 500 index rose 2.4%. It's the opposite of what most people were expecting after the 6.5% move in June. The market was supposed to cool off a little bit. It's just not happening. One reason is the weakness in the dollar. The dollar was down 2.3% last week, which is a very big move, and it takes it below the psychologically significant 100 level for the first time since last summer. Last week, hedge funds turned net bearish on the dollar for the first time since May last year. Normally, when they make a change from long to short, they stay that way for a while. In terms of the major currency crosses, we don't see euro-dollar changing very much over the next year, but we do look for the dollar to be 6% weaker versus the Japanese yen. And it's worth noting that Japan government bond yields and swap rates have started rising quite a bit in the last week an indication of a coming change in Bank of Japan policy when it meets on July 28th. Last week, Mr. Hideo Hayakawa, the former chief economist at the Bank of Japan, said, I expect they will make some kind of adjustment to yield curve control this month. If they don't, it doesn't make sense. End of quote. And that's true for the rest of the world to have been tightening their monetary policy so much so that they're almost all done at the same time as the Bank of Japan is still loosening monetary policy. Doesn't make sense. But if they let the JGB market go, it could mean a lot of selling and all kinds of fixed income around the world as Japanese come back to Japan. It would be difficult to predict what's going to happen exactly, but it could be something big. Well, the Japanese yen is 15% of the dollar basket, so it does have an impact. But really, the main reason why the dollar was so weak last week was because of what's happening in the United States itself, where all the inflation numbers are going down very nicely. Consumer inflation at 3% in June was the lowest since March 2021. Producer inflation at 0.1% is on the verge of turning negative. Import prices down 6%. Export prices down 12%. That's the lowest on record. So the idea is that the last rate hike of this cycle will be at the meeting on Wednesday next week. The futures market sees a 92% chance of that happening. That means if it does happen, nobody's going to be surprised. The market isn't going to collapse. In August, there is no FOMC meeting, but there is one on September 20th. The market's putting about a 17% chance of a rate hike at that meeting, which is, of course, very low. And after that, October, December, for that matter, all of next year, the market is assuming no more rate hikes. One reason for that is comments from Federal Reserve Governor Chris Waller last week. I'll read a little bit of what he said. He said, there's a lot of discussion about the September meeting, and if inflation bounces back, we should hike. But if the data looks like we're making progress, we'll get two more CPI reports. If they look like the last two, the data would suggest maybe stopping. The reason that's important is, well, first of all, Dr. Waller is one of the most influential voices on the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors, but also he's known for holding more hawkish views. In fact, he's considered the second most hawkish voting member. The only potential fly in the ointment is, will inflation in the next two reports look good enough, like Dr. Waller wants, to merit stopping? 
The Cleveland Fed's Dowcast of inflation for the current month is based on 10 high-frequency inputs. They have a good track record in predicting the actual number. They're looking for July CPI inflation at 3.4%, which is a tick up from the actual reported number in June of 3%. So that's not great. And unless CPI turns negative on a month-on-month basis, in other words, we get falling prices, which seems highly unlikely unless there's a recession, the year-on-year number is never going to hit the Fed's 2% target. Even if we coast at zero month-on-month, the lowest we're going to get to is about 2.4% by October, and then it should go back up to about 2.8% by January, assuming, once again, flat month-on-month for the rest of the year. Well, if the Federal Reserve is going to be true to its word about achieving a 2% inflation target, then the market could be disappointed because it's putting basically no chances of rate hikes after September. But if you listen to the Fed closely, what they've been saying recently is they want to see evidence of that moving down toward 2%. That's the words they're using. Our own view is the 2% target that was adopted back in 2012 is no longer viable given the way the world has changed. And for the record, our own economist David Cole has the same view of the market. He expects next week to be the last rate hike. By the way, the Real Estate Investment Trust share prices have a pretty good track record for predicting rates. And that makes sense because they're among the most rate-sensitive of stocks, given their reliance on debt. Well, those Real Estate Investment Trust share prices started to roll over at the end of 2021, when they got a sense that rate hikes were coming in 2022. But now, if you look at them, their share prices are rising. That's a sign they see the rate hikes ending. Speaking of the market, it's a repeat of 2020, with all the speculative stocks ripping higher this month, like the meme stocks. They're up 11% this month alone. The IPO stocks are up 7%. The NASDAQ is up 2.4%. The S&P up 1.2%. That might seem boring by comparison, but remember, it already rose 6.5% last month. And that means, putting it all together, it's up 17.5% so far this year which sounds like way too much. But actually, when we look back over the last 100 years, there were only 14 other years when the S&P had risen 15% or more by this time of the year. And for the remainder of the year, four of those 14 fell, but 10 of the 14 went on to rise even more. So that's 10 out of 14, 70% odds is pretty good. Another thing that's been worrying investors is the narrow breadth of this bull market. The top 10 stocks in the S&P are 32% of the entire S&P market cap, an all-time high, but their combined earnings are only 22% of S&P earnings. So what should we think about that? Well, our CIO, Yves Bonzon, wrote about exactly this last Thursday in his monthly, and I'll quote him. He said, if AI puts downward pressure on the wages of highly skilled workers and drives productivity gains, then the current NASDAQ rally has legs. He also said, while a concentrated market leadership naturally raises concerns, it's usually followed by a widening of market breadth and further equity gains. And that's exactly what's happening. There is a widening out of participation in both the technology stocks and the larger market. With the technology stocks, if we look at the NASDAQ 100 Equal Weighted Index, it has an equal weighting in each of the stocks in the NASDAQ 100, as opposed to the NASDAQ 100 itself, where Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon alone are 40% 
of the market cap. So the other 60% is the other 96 composites. Well, last week saw the largest ever inflows for the equal weighted NASDAQ 100 index ETF. That suggests appetite is broadening beyond the mega cap technology stocks to the smaller technology stocks. And as for the S&P 500 index, it was heavily skewed to the top 10 technology companies from January through the end of May. In fact, the other 490 companies in the S&P put together were actually down a little bit from January through the end of May. But since then, the rallies broadened out. The top 10 stocks are 3% of the S&P's 8% rise since the 1st of June. The other 490 are 5% of that 8% rise. Also, back in mid-March, only 16% of S&P stocks were trading above their 50-day moving averages. Today, 82% of them are. That tells us once again, the rally has broadened out dramatically into, by the way, cyclical sectors like industrials, materials, financials. And those are the kind of stocks that shouldn't be rising if the economy was going to slow down. If we look back to 1990, what happens when you get to this level? 80% to 85% of S&P 500 companies trading above their 50-day moving averages. Well, 12 months later, on average, the S&P was up 12%, and it had positive returns 85% of the time. Those are also pretty good odds. On a final note, we have entered the results season as of last week with the big banks reporting, and the three big banks collectively reported about $50 billion in net interest income. That's 30% higher than the same quarter last year because they've been raising their lending rates a lot and their deposit rates just a little. Of course, it's far too soon to call a trend. But for the 30 S&P companies that have reported their second quarter earnings, they've beat the consensus forecast by 80%, which is well above the 10-year average beat rate of 73%. So just like in the first quarter, earnings growth may be a positive surprise, even if it's a negative number. Because in the first quarter, going into the first quarter, expectations were for a 9% drop in earnings year on year. The actual number was only minus 3.4%. So there's a good chance the minus 10% year-on-year earnings that is currently being forecast for the second quarter is also going to be too low. And what we can see after looking at forecasts is going into the third quarter, the fourth quarter, and next year. Recession just doesn't seem to be on the cards because the analysts are forecasting a pickup in earnings after the second quarter. This is Mark Matthews signing off for this week. I wish you a very pleasant week ahead. Until the next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Bayer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbayer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbayer.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.